All right. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to the Serious Angler podcast, powered by our friends over at X2 Power Batteries. Joined here by the captain, Mr. Andy Full. And as always, I'm your host, Bailey Eichbrett. Andy, what's going on, dude? Oh, you know, a day off. And I don't like having days off because this is like prime time, but it was a much needed day off to get some rest in and uh as we're recording it's a day off and as people are listening i will be on the water guiding again and the smallmouth fishing has been absolutely incredible and i always like i always have to take a step back right like we are absolutely lucky and blessed where we live and i'm like i was on the phone earlier today complaining to uh a buddy and i was like you know i'm only catching 40 fish a day right now this sucks. And he's like, 40 a day? He's like, you have to remember, you can go to any other lake in the world that's really good, and you might only catch 10 to 15 bass in a day. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know what? Thank you. And I'm out here on the water stressing about getting another bite when we've got 40 in the boat. I'm like, I really need to slow my roll. Like, that's a yeah. great day. And I have to remember that. But, like, I'm so used to being spoiled in the spring where we're getting, like, 50 70 90 100 bass in the boat on any given day and i look back at the past week and we've boated over 300 smallmouth in five days of guiding like i'm i should not be one to complain but i am because i'm spoiled where we live yeah that's right you're a spoiled little brat andy what you are. <laughs> what's up with you but <laughs> well, i'm trying to be a spoiled little brat tomorrow <laughs> what i'm trying to do <laughs> you're gonna be a spoiled little brat tomorrow and probably catch a seven pounder knock on wood hope i, I think so. freaking i freaking hope so now dude tomorrow tomorrow i have a different mission uh we're gonna go film but tomorrow uh we had we had a good tournament at Cayuga for nykbf and ekf not as good as i would have liked but which is sad saying that you know come back to spoiled little brat i had 95 inches and i was disappointed hey, in my brat. stop whining uh, Good Lord, coming on strong. Gosh, dang. That's what we do. <laughs> coming after me. Um, no, I, I was just more like, not, it's sad because I'm disappointed 95 inches, but I was more like, I was catching heavy fish, but I wasn't catching long fish. I was cursed with the fat bass and not the long bass for my tournament. And Fatty patties. Dude, quite literally just blimps with fins, basically. And uh, it, it's one where, I feel sour about it a little bit because the biggest community hole in the lake and the best time of year where if you have a hook, you have a chance kind of deal one, but I can't get mad at that because they're community holes for a reason. And it wasn't my decision to go up there where it was one. And you know what? That's, that's kind of what it is. And I, I was happy. I had a good performance because it was, I think it was for EKF elite kayak fishing. I think I was six out of like one Oh nine, which I made a stupid big dummy head move and submitted one of my 19 inches to attorney uh, X, but not fishing chaos. Wish these trails would just get on one dang app, but uh, either way, it's my, my own mistake for not submitting to the other one. So I had 94 inches on that, not 95 that I had and missed out on a couple hundred bucks because of that. Um, so like, it wasn't a bad performance, but dude, this year just started out pretty rough. Uh, and I've been kind of focused on focusing on ways that, I like to fish, which is like with electronics and all that. But dude, tomorrow I think I'm leaving the graphs in the truck. I might not even bring them. Gonna get up shallow. It's springtime. It's time to go catch big ones, catch them shallow. 
go uh go retrain you know the instincts to get up and just go catch him just don't worry about anything might even leave the phone in the truck and, and just go fish just bring a few rods simplify things and just get back to uh clear in the mind because we got a long stretch of getting back to the toc and i feel like i need that for for the brain to uh, instead of because I, when I go out fun fishing, as of lately, it's it's not really fun fishing. It's it's fu- enjoyable, but it's like I'm it's training. Work. I'm training for something. Like I'm working on something specific. Where I haven't had a day where I'm just gonna go fish and catch them. You know what I mean? I like it. Yeah, bring clarity to the brain, relax, and get back to the roots. And we all need that. Yeah, I'm thinking tomorrow. Literally, just gonna bring a jig, chatterbait. Mag draft, and I might even just get freaky and throw that big, big nine inch glide bait. Yeah, see what happens. Get freaky, have some fun. Yeah, I like yeah. it. For the folks uh, that are listening, that are our swim baiters, on down the the, the rabbit hole, uh, the uh, nine inch, six inch, six inch draw. Threw it around in practice a few weeks back for a different tournament and caught a five and a half pounder like my third cast. And I was like, all right, I'm hooked. Got me hook, line, and sinker. I'm going down the rabbit hole of like. Trying to buy some expensive glide baits. So here Next we thing you know, he's going to have 300 KGB showing up on eBay. And oh, yeah. the fiance is going to get all mad and be like, what is this? <laughs> There's only one. <laughs> hey, don't good. worry about it. <laughs> she doesn't see the package arrive. She don't know. <laughs> Dangerous rabbit hole, my friend. <laughs> it is. It is. All right. But uh, we have a great episode today. We got our old pal, Mr. Drew Gregory, coming back on the show. And uh, we're going to be talking about obviously catching up with Drew, but we're also going to be talking about, which is perfectly timed with Lay Lake going on right now with the Elite Series, the Alabama bass versus the spotted bass. And some people are like, aren't they the same? Well, knowledge to me that I learned because of Drew, they are not the same. Nope. Uh, so that's going to be something cool we're going to talk about, and we might as well just bring him on here right now. Mr. Drew Gregory, what's going on, dude? Not much, guys. Man, I'm excited. I'm pumped. This is the topic. You know, you just told me a few minutes ago, and I was like, hey, what are we talking about tonight? And you told me. And I was like, yeah, let's go. Like, let's start right now. I'm pumped. I, I've been. Uh-oh. Oh, man. We get right on the episode of Wi-Fi. Drew's oh. Wi-Fi just said, you know what? Nope, you're not talking about that tonight. Wait, hang on. Oh. You got me? We got yeah. you now. We got you now. All right. If this happens again, I am going to take my laptop carried upstairs right next to my wi-fi all right you guys tell me if it happens again because <laughs> okay. i mean who cares right, so anyway um i got a couple of videos on my phone that i recorded they're like 10 12 minutes long uh basically explaining this whole thing right and i was like man i just don't want to come across like the old man you know get off my lawn you know what i mean like just this this grumpy old man that just but but I don't know, man. So we'll explain it today. I'll get into it, but I, I've, I've waited from posting those and I'm glad we're doing it now talking about now. Cause I won't have to post them and everyone, I can just direct everyone to this episode of the show because there's uh, some very important reasons why this matters. You know, why this topic matters big time for the future of everyone that their careers or their livelihoods or whatever is based off of catching black bass. If, and the people that should care the most about this, quite frankly, it is actually Bassmaster and Major League Fishing, MPF, any organization like that should be screaming from the rooftops about this situation that we have going on with this Alabama bass. So I don't know where or how you want me to begin, but, um, you know. Well, this is the reason because you, we, you and I talked about this a few days back uh, about the whole Alabama bass versus spotted bass. We've talked about it briefly 
uh, in episodes prior, but we've never really, I think, gone down the entire rabbit hole. Uh, and the reason why I think we spurred it on the moment on you was because you're just so knowledgeable about the subject that you don't need yeah. any preparation no. to get ready for an episode <laughs> like this. So, yeah. I mean, with that being said, let's just jump into it, man. Let's just let's go right into the fire. Why is this something that bass and major league fishing should be uh, really uh, steering their eyes toward? Well, and first of all, so I'm a geek. I'm a nerd. I've caught every one of these black bass species. There's like 19 of these things now when you count the subspecies and, and, and the species that are not described yet, but from the biologists. And I have a lot of friends that are fisheries biologists. And that's from growing up in Georgia, catching the shoal bass is kind of how I got into this like rabbit hole, if you will, about all these species. And Georgia also happens to have where you can catch, I don't know what it's up to now because they've added some different species that are actually officially species i think george you can catch like nine of these black bass species because they have part of the tennessee river goes in you know the very north part of georgia and then the southern part of georgia you've got the shoal bass which are obviously unique to pretty much just georgia um there's some tributaries in alabama and there's some bordering water with the chattahoochee that has some and there's one isolated population in florida but anyway the uh there's a lot of species in that state that you can catch for black bass. You can't catch the Guadalupe that's out in Texas. You can't get that one. And there's a couple others, you know, that are not described yet that, that you can't catch, but by and large, you can get them all there. So I kind of got like learned about this from, and a lot of them are river fish only like this Swanee bass and the shoal bass and, and most all of your red eye bass species that some of them are separate. Now I'm not going to get into the weeds and all those. Cause those are the ones who are, all these ones are kind of separating out because it's like salmon. If you guys are out there, anybody who, who from the Northwest or anywhere, you've got this certain salmon that go up to certain rivers and they're, they're their own like strain of salmon. They're like biologically different. I don't know. Do you guys, you all have that up there in New York, right? I mean, yeah. a lot of that. Yep. yep. I understand it. So, so like real quick, they're dive into that rabbit hole, like King salmon or King salmon here, they're transplanted, but like, right. We have a couple different species of steelhead that came from different creeks in mm-hmm. Washington, which the main two ones here are Skamanian and Chamber Creek. Then they came from two different bodies of water, and one's a summer run fish, and one is a late fall spring run fish. So I, I understand the genetic classifications. Every every fish species right. is technically genetically coded, in my opinion, to the body of water that they live in. So Yeah, exactly. And in the southeast, it's so unique because it all, like if you think about it, the 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 rivers, which make our lakes, right? So they're all part of, you know, at some point, the highest elevation, there's some mountains that separate one drainage from another. So like the Coosa system and the Mobile, you know, basin, if you were Alabama river, all that, it goes into Georgia and the Etowah river, but there's a thin little mountain that actually, dude, I used to live there. There's, it's 10 minutes apart from the Etowah river, which is the headwater of the Coosa and Lake Lanier, which is does not flow out in the Mobile Basin that flows out in Apalachicola, right? Through the Chattahoochee and the Flint River, like Seminole, all that good stuff. So literally in 10 minutes, you could be, what well, you could move a fish from the Etowah River, which is probably where they, the Lake Alatoona or the Etowah River is probably where the Alabama bass got into Lake Lanier. It was the easiest, quickest, probably Lake Alatoona because it's easier with bass boats and live wells. But anyway, but that, that mountain chain all over the Southeast, some of the water's flowing into the Gulf. Some of it's flowing into the Atlantic, you know, out of Georgia, you've got this weird and each one of those, they're not connected to the other. Obviously there's, they're its own isolated river system, you know, the Altamaha river system or the Savannah river. And, but when you go all the way up into the mountains that like, I don't know all the exact biological biologist terms they would say, but basically that that species just sort of became isolated and, and from another cousin or something that they've never connected anymore. So that's like 
shoal bass are here and these red eyes are here and these smallmouth are up here once you cross over to the tennessee river system and that's like where they are and then then the in the uh coosa river the mobile alabama river right all that that's actually all of the alabama bat which are now alabama bass that used to be called are grouped in with spotted bass so that's just a little backstory on me and like kind of how i understand and know a lot of this stuff and i actually realize it, it in these kayak fishing tournaments how knowing that helps you in tournaments and so i got even more into it because like for example in the grand lake uh last year grand lake has smallmouth in it it's actually in, you know native smallmouth territory but because i i've done uh shows out there before i hosted a, a show called hooked on wild waters and i think i was fishing with stetson blaylock in that episode he and i went and fished on the um the neosho river and that's the neosho strain of smallmouth so i learned that there's different strains of even the fish that we know so well but like smallmouth and that strain of smallmouth does not get big so in a tournament setting if i learn more about the species it can help me win and be successful in tournaments because anybody else going to grand lake who doesn't understand that they start going up a creek and they catch a smallmouth they say I'm going to focus on smallies and eventually I'm going to stumble into a 20 incher. No, if you don't understand that's a different strain, you it's not going to happen. Now there are some big ones like that in that Lake, but those are ones that have probably been already moved from 10 killer when they put in the proper micropterous dolomule, 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 whatever is the scientific name for the small mouth that get big, the Tennessee river, mm -hmm. the ones up where you guys are anyway. So wait, wait, there's different names for small mouth. The scientific name for this different strains, like there are, yeah, there's a, yeah. The, there's a, the Wachita strain of smallmouth and the Neosho strain that are in the, in the Ozarks. And the crazy thing, they just got released some giant study. I haven't even gone through it yet, but my buddy was a part of it. Andrew, Dr. Andrew Taylor, they just did a huge study and they took samples of fish all over the country, everywhere. And they pulled the genetics from them and, and searched backwards to where, which one was the actual aunt, true grandfather ancestor? Like, and you know what's crazy? The Neosho smallmouth, the ones that get dinky, are the original first smallmouth in the world, not the ones that we're catching that get big. Those separated off, and somehow, I don't, again, I can't explain all that, like how and why those get bigger and why their genetics change. You know what I'm saying? But the, the Micropterus dolomue or dolomule, someone can correct me on that, I'm sure. But I know that, um, the shoal bass is Micropterus cataractae, and you got, you know, all the whatever. But they also found in that study another cool fact, and I'm going to dive into this this topic a little bit deeper, but a cool fact I want to share is that they misnamed the largemouth. The largemouth they were doing their uh, describing with was actually, um, they found Florida strain genetics and bass naturally further up north into Georgia and all those areas um, than they ever, ever thought, which would actually, you know, I don't, I don't actually, I personally don't believe Perry's fish was probably that much. Didn't really weigh that much. You know what I mean? But it would explain it a little bit more. You know what I'm saying? Like, cause that actually, if it is, if that area actually has Florida, the Florida genetics, so right. there's, some, there's some cool stuff that came from that study that they did, but you guys can go check that out um, sometime, but let's get into this, this topic. So why does this matter? Why is this such a huge deal? Well, let's, let's take these uh, red eye bass or that get small or take your, your northern strain spotted bass because spotted bass were considered one group and you actually had it within that group for some reason right we knew the ones in the coosa river just got big and those are the ones who've been dumped into lanier and lanier to hartwell hartwell to norman you know what i'm saying murray we, they're kind of in murray now so expect murray to be dominated by those fish at some point which is sad because look how good murray is now with largemouth mm -hmm. but then imagine it's going to turn into hartwell not that there's anything wrong with hartwell and how 
like or or Norman, there's not from the from the perspective of if you're going to move any fish, at least those were like ones that are, are sporty and get kind of big, you know, like most of them are still smaller than largemouth, right? They're like the Alabama bass that we're talking about. When I say Alabama bass, everyone knows out there. I'm just talking about the ones that are in mm-hmm. the Coosa River system, the Alabama, the whole Alabama River system, Mobile Basin, anything yeah. that comes into that. Okay, so, but they were all grouped together at one point, and they were those fish and northern strain. They called them northern spotted bass or Kentuckys, and those are all in the Ohio River, Mississippi River, all over. Because Mississippi, as you know, of course, goes and splits off. You got part of it over there out in like Oklahoma, the water that feeds into the Mississippi from from the west into it, and you got some like the Ohio River and Tennessee River coming from the east. And there are, you know, some slight differences in those northern strain, Kentucky, whatever you want to call them, spotted bass, but they don't get big. They get, they're teeny. I mean, most of the time you're going to catch them, they're 12, 10, 11, 12 inches. And they're, the lake is just loaded with them because the lake can only can support so much biomass, right? So you could either have under a dock, you could have six of these little guys, right? Or if they didn't exist in a lake, it just had largemouth, you could have potentially, right, one six pound largemouth, right? It's, it's not, a, none of that's exact, but you get my point. I'd much rather have a lake that has the potential to have the, you know, bigger bass overall in terms of the fun to catch them, right? But anyway, those fish were all grouped together. All those spotted, they all were just called spotted bass. But we knew, kind of like with shoal bass, we knew they were, they were classified as red eyes. Well, this is weird. How come all the other red eyes and all these little creeks and rivers in Georgia and the Carolinas, whatever, in Tennessee and the mountains get this big, like dinky, 12 inches to the brook trout of the black bass family. They're teeny, but they're beautiful. Well, why do these here are teeny and these other ones in the Flint River and the, you know what I mean? The Chattahoochee get like six, seven, eight pounds, like the world records, eight, 12. So why did, so obviously they're different. And because of that, in 1997, they determined we need to figure out this. I'm pretty sure it was 97. That, and they determined that the shoal bass, based on studies, is genetically different from red eye. So let's separate it, strip the world record. Red eye is no longer 812. It's back to whatever, I think, out of Jocassi. It's three something or whatever, almost four or five pounds. But now, it's, so now this has to happen with the, the spotted bass because we all know it's not just that it gets bigger, it also looks different, right? It's built a little bit different too. So now they separated out in like 2009. They they finally did all the genetic studies that whatever they have to do on their end from the biologist um, and said, okay, this is, we're going to call this the Alabama bass because it's only found basically in Alabama, the, the Mobile Basin. So let's, let's call, I mean, naturally, natively, obviously it's all over the place now, but we're going to call this thing the Alabama bass. And now the other fish we used to call Northerns and Kentuckys, those are actually just, just spotted bass. That's it just spotted bass and how they definitely differ a little bit in size and, and looks depending on if you're to the West of the Mississippi or, or East or whatever. But the issue with this, you know, Alabama bass is different. If you think about it, the spotted bass lives naturally with smallmouth, right? There's smallmouth in the Tennessee river. Naturally there's smallmouth in the Ohio river system and all the other major, you know, Mississippi or whatever, all of them. It's, it's, they're in there naturally mm. living with largemouth and smallmouth, and there there's no problem. In other words, you rarely find a hybrid between the two. You do every once in a while, but you, it's rare. And if you do, it's a mean mouth and it's, it is what it is. And it's, you know, no big deal. Right. But the Alabama bass, what they figured out when they were doing all this research and studying about the fish, cause you got to learn about it a, a whole lot to separate it out as a separate, you know, species. You got to learn a lot about a bass and, and, 
my biologist friends that, that do all that research. It takes a lot of time and they do so much stuff in depth and they have to bring it, bring this whole presentation to this uh, committee or council or whatever. And they all, you know, whatever, sign off on it, basically saying, yeah, we agree. And we, under, we understand that everything you did. And we agree that it should be separate now because you've proven it from every level genetics all the way, all the way down. And so the problem with this fish is that it hybridizes, it can mate with and spawn with all the other black bass species successfully. And uh, in largemouth, it rarely does it. So that's that's why you see the Coosa River systems naturally with largemouth. And for whatever reason, largemouth is the one that does not really spawn with the other fish very often. doesn't work. It doesn't work. I don't know if they just don't pair together, if they just don't look for each other, or if they just do it at different times or why. Or when they try to do it, it just doesn't work. It very rarely works. I don't know why, but it doesn't. That's why largemouth are always this, like, uh, what is it in uh, the constant? What's the word I'm looking for? Like a, a study in science class. You have the variable. That's the oh, the constant. Um, uh, the constant. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I guess it's the constant. So they're always like this constant that that is, you know, and they're, and they're not native all over the place. We've moved them all over. But anyway, they just can't really spawn with the other black bass species as as much as um, some of the other fish can if they happen to get together, but they're all separated. Like I said, in, in these, like the way God intended it, they just are naturally separated in their own river systems and that's it. But for whatever reason, this Alabama bass can successfully spawn with all the rest. So what does that do? Well, if you have a small mouth spawning with an Alabama bass, it creates a hybrid. This we call mean mouth. And then, and then if you have, let's say now you have a, let's say this Northern strain, this actual spotted bass, you know, gets moved somewhere because people hear the words and hear Bassmaster and Major League Fishing saying spotted bass on the, on the, um, at the commentators and everyone saying spotted bass, the English, everyone, they're calling them spotted bass still, even though it's been since 2009. Well, I want to go catch some big spotted. I would love to have big spotted bass in lakes near me. I'm just going to go, man, they're not getting big in my Creek over here in Kentucky or Ohio or, or Indiana, wherever I live, I'm going to go move them over here and maybe someone lives close enough to another drainage where they're not supposed to be, or even if they are supposed to be, they just move them around. It's not good. The problem is they're moving the one that's, it's not good to move fish period, but they're moving the one that's even the worst. Cause now it's like this teeny little thing. That's not even the, the Alabama bass. But then what happens is you get this little fish mixing in with the Alabama bass in some of these lakes, which is probably could explain why Lanier has seems to have the biggest, most purest, spots or whatever i mean even i still say it right alabama's the purest ones mm -hmm. and the biggest because the genetics for hartwell they're uh naturally there's red eyes in hartwell the different called the bartrams it's a different species of red eye called bartrams well those genetics are getting intermingled right with maybe someone moved some of these uh northern strains over there and maybe some people did obviously people did move the alabama's there because you do see some get big but they're not Uh oh, we lost them. Am I back? You're back now. Okay, but they're never as pure strain as the ones like that are closest in, in Lanier, or obviously the the Etowah and the Coosa and the, all the rivers that um, the actual Alabama bass are in. So once the genetics start, once you start getting some genetics of a, it's like breeding out the best tomatoes, like in food or something, right? It's like breeding out the biggest animals. So if Shaquille O'Neal gets it on with some gymnast that's four foot five, <laughs> guess what, dude? They're kids. That poor gymnast. Oh my God. <laughs> oh. 
and he's frozen. It's a perfect time to freeze. I'm actually going to take a picture of this. This is me on bull. I don't know what to do with my hands, Ricky Bobby. <laughs> I just got the perfect uh, frozen picture of you, Drew. All I got to say is, where did you come up with Shaquille O'Neal and a poor 411 gymnast? Like, you're muted too, thing. Drew. Yeah, you muted yourself, Drew. There you go. Hold on. Let me see if I can get it. No, no. You got to do it yourself. Won't let me unmute you. Oh, Lordy. <laughs> there he goes. Am I back? You're yeah. back. All right. I'll walk this thing upstairs if I have to, if this happens again. But uh, maybe that's the problem. I don't know. But I don't know where I got it from other than just these recognizable enough figure that's big. And <laughs> anyway, so, but the point is, you know what I'm saying? Their kids are going to be like medium size between yeah. the two people. And then, but if it was, if he was, you know, like, married somebody that was his same size those kids are gonna be giant and then again those kids are gonna have it depend you know so if you get a medium-sized person from the gymnast and the shack and then that that person's yeah. genetics that person's genetics will always have the gymnast as part of it you see what i'm saying like his whole right. like the whole genetic line for the rest of eternity is now coming from that fish and you can never get that back pandora's box has been like unleashed and you can never pull it back you can't kill all the fish in the lake and start over it's it's just impossible because all the rivers and creeks they live in so alabama bass as cool as they are and they do they are fun to catch and they're in the proper environments and where they happen to live now and if we manage them properly that's cool but um trust me they've displaced other fish like largemouth and red eye bass and other bass they've they've taken because you know it's like they don't get as big as a largemouth so and I get that largemouth are everywhere, and that's kind of oh, that's kind of boring. It's kind of and I and I think it's 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 quote unquote worked out in some of those lakes, but it hasn't worked out for the largemouth and for the red eye bass and these other species that we don't think about as often because we don't care about them because they don't get big. But even that Alabama bass doesn't get. Dude, you look at the lakes with tournaments like look at Lewis Smith Lake and all these other places. You're just catching a bunch of dinks all day long. I mean, you're lucky when you stumble into a three, and it's not that great compared to what this overall size of a largemouth gets. And it's – so the other part of the whole equation isn't just – like the biggest thing you got to think about is the smallmouth. The, this fish is moving up the eastern coast up into Virginia, and Virginia's got the best website. Bailey, you can probably just find it if you Google it because they're scared to death about this fish because Virginia okay. has so much good – the Virginia DNR or the – whatever the fishing game for Virginia has a website literally tells what the Alabama bass is, why it's an, an invasive species and, and the problem with having it in their state, like Smith, Smith Lake, Smith so Mountain Lake Smith and, Mountain, yeah. and all these other, because there are, it's already in Clater Lake. One of the Clater Lake is made by the new river and the new river has some of the best smallmouth fishing in the country. Well, if this Alabama bass hybridizes with smallmouth, guess what? you're going to have eventually going to have a ton of just mutts all over the whole place and no true smallmouth. And that stinks because the smallmouth gets overall bigger than and heart, fights harder. And it's, it's my number one fish of all in terms of the black bass. It's the funnest to catch. I've caught shoal bass, all the, all the species. It's the, it's number one, dude. Why would we ever try want to like get rid of that? You know, we, we obviously aren't wanting to, but people just think it's, they hear and they see all this, oh, these spotted bass, you know, Elite Series, Lay Lake and Coosa River Chain. This is such a cool fish. They're not actually like calling it the right fish, first of all. So who knows what's actually getting moved into these lakes? It could be the northern strains or it could be 
or you know whatever but um or ones that have genetics from either either one of them which is that medium size thing that i talked about which is no good either but none of it's good but either way you could lose all your small mouth um over eventually you can lose all of your small mouth so yeah that that's your uh bailey's got it pulled up here on the screen that's that's could be the uh, website i'm talking about and they explain why it's you know there it is yeah so they um i mean can you imagine the susquehanna if this if the fish keeps moving because think about it lake lanier then the savannah river system so you're uh you know clark's hill and all those eventually they're going to keep working their way down from and they have because they're already in russell right below hartwell and they're going to keep spreading and then they're in in uh uh, Moss Lake and Norman and Wiley and all the lakes. And now they're over in Smith. Cause you can see anglers are moving them. Bass boat anglers are just keeping moving them. So the Chattahoochee river in downtown Atlanta. Okay. Naturally has red eyes, naturally has shoal bass, naturally has, well, it's debatable if that naturally has red eyes, but that's a whole other thing uh, because that is the shoal bass's territory. But up in the mountains, it has a cute little red, red eye. It's got red fins and they get like this big, but either way um, has, largemouth it's got northern strain have been put in there because people don't know what they're doing and they move move the wrong ones and like 10 years ago i caught a smallmouth out of there it was the first one that anyone had ever caught anytime a smallmouth has ever been introduced in this river system with a shoal bass we didn't know what was going to happen i was with a biologist friend when it happened dr salmons who did all the research and studies on the shoal bass and he was flipping his lid he could not believe that we were sitting there holding a smallmouth bass not in the tennessee river system someone took them from Chattanooga area, probably the closest place, drove them down, literally intentionally put them in the Chattahoochee. So you have every, so at that point we knew they were in there. We don't know how many someone, someone put in there. So, but here's the point that was like 10 years ago. And right now you can go and fish in the Chattahoochee river. And when you catch a black bass, it doesn't look like anything. Every one of them Uh, are mutts. And you lose me again. No, we still got you. Oh, oh, you got me? Oh, you were saying, uh-oh, about the situation. I think I lost you guys. That was weird. You did? Oh, you I... lost us. Sorry about well, that. Well, you're good. So they're all mutts in the Chattahoochee River in when it becomes a warm water fishery below Morgan Falls Dam in Atlanta. Everything is a mutt for in that area, and it's working its way down continuously because the genetics over time, they just keep just spreading, right? So that we've lost any pure, you could probably still catch a pure largemouth there since they don't hybridize with these other species, like hardly ever. You're probably good with largemouth, but it's just all mutts. That is the future of all of our fisheries, the way it's going with the, especially with the Alabama bass being able to hybridize with the other species, any other species pretty much. So do we want to just have a black bass? Not even like anything specific anymore. It's just, it's a black bass. So it's going to count. No, we want obviously to have them in the right areas. And so that's, that's the biggest issue with them. And they're heading the way up Virginia. And can you imagine getting all the way up to the great lakes or getting up to, you know, the Susquehanna, uh, you know, uh, world-class, which they're not even smallmouth aren't even native to the Susquehanna. So the, the point, and that's in the world, most world-class smallmouth fishing, one of them, one of the places, right. But that just shows you the fact that smallmouth aren't native what a, a fish like the Alabama bass, which has the capability to outcompete, which is the next part of the topic. Cause when they don't like when they don't hybridize and eliminate the other species in that fishery by hybridizing, they outcompete them, which is what they've done in a lot of like, like outcompeted the largemouth in Lake Norman. So 
But the example for smallmouth who outcompeted whatever warm water fish dominated pike or whatever it was, the Susquehanna, they, they, you, you hardly can catch any other black bass species, but smallmouth in the Susquehanna or they're just loaded. That's how quickly, how much it can just take over and how quick can this Alabama bass take over? I'll tell you how quick 10 years ago, approximately I could be off a little bit. There wasn't a, an Alabama bass in Lake Norman today. Right now, today, it's 80%, 20% Alabama bass. And not by hybridization like it, like they would do with the smallmouth. They'll, they'll eliminate the smallmouth by hybridizing with them. And then eventually, just there's just all mutts, like I said. But in there's certain situations that maybe the smallmouth can hold their own. Like the Flint River for shoal bass in Georgia, just so you know, the, the Alabama bass are in there. And the, unfortunately, spotted bass, which, again, the wrong ones in terms of getting big, aren't are in there too. But... The, the blessing is that shoal bass are so good at their habitat if in the living in the shoals and the whitewater and whatnot that the, the Alabama bass have more taken over the largemouth and outcompeted the largemouth out of the slower sections in those rivers in between the rapids and the shoals where the largemouth used to live, right? The habitat. Same with the Okmulgee River, whether or not the shoal bass aren't native there anyway, but they're in there. And uh, they've outcome the, the Alabama bass have kind of, they're more displacing the largemouth and the shoal bass are sort of holding their own. But it doesn't matter because over time you're going to get Alabama spawning with a shoal bass, and that becomes a 50-50. You know what I mean? And then and then that genetics is just it's never a pure anything. So over time, but the the problem is all your lakes that have your largemouth only, you put these Alabama bass in there, and they'll outcompete the largemouth. Pretty much gone. Like Hartwell, it still has some in there, but you got to go certain places to find them where the largemouth are still hanging on, and your Lake Lanier's and your Normans, whatever, all these lakes. But I'll tell you what, what, like, real what's fast, happened. Real yeah. fast, Drew. When you say outcompete, like for the folks listening, when you say that, are you saying that they're behaving like largemouth or what is, what do you mean? Well, I'll, I'll explain it. So, what it is, so when a lake gets made by humans, we, these are all man made lakes, right? They're not natural. So, unfortunately, like, humans can never do something that, that just, God, you know what I mean? Like whatever you want to call it, mother nature, earth could do naturally. We can't do it as good. So when you dam it up, if you notice the head of every lake that's man-made, when the river comes in, it's just a silted like flat it's mud silty. And it's just buried all of the previous, you know, nutrition and logs and everything. It's just, just sand and silty. It's just blah. So there's a 10 year fit 10, 15, maybe pushing 20, but your first 10, 15 years of a lake, a man-made lake is the boom. That's why you see all those records for all these lakes were caught in like the 10, you know, 10 years after the lake was made. And Basically what's years, going on with Bussy Break and Katie yes, Creek in Louisiana. Yes. And it's what's going to happen on that lake in Texas they just made, or it, it's about to open soon. And it's going to be one of the next big trophy lakes, but it's only going to last for so long because here's why. It's called the trophic upsurge. And this this gets into this answer, Bailey. But you guys got to understand there's something called the trophic upsurge. And that means there's so many nutrients in a good way, not not too many nutrients like the Mississippi River in, you know, St. Louis or Memphis. That's too many nutrients for a black bass. OK, that's too rich with with uh, like sediment and nutrients. It's good for other fish and species potentially, but not for black bass. They got eyes that bulge out and they see in 360 degree range because they want to be able to see in sight feed, not just rely on the lateral line. They can do it, but that's not where they live in the main Mississippi in those areas. But the trophic upsurge, 
is that first time. So if you think about a blowdown in a lake, you know, you're on Chickamauga, you see a tree falls in the water. That's like awesome for probably a good, I don't know, six months or something until it's like, all right, it's kind of all the, the leaves, the nutrients and all the, the little hiding spots for all the bait fish have kind of decayed away. And eventually you see all these, these logs, right. That, that are four or five, whatever, eight, 10 years old in these lakes. And it's just a lot. It's the trunk. There are no more branches, period. They're all decayed away. Right. Um, you guys have seen those and they're not as good as they were. Uh, all the insects have eaten off all the nutrients. So if you ever pick up a rock out of a river or a piece of wood, you look in the bottom and you're going to see more life on the piece of wood, like Helgramites and all these little aquatic insects and all this moss and these nutrients like life. So wood's always going to have kind of more life, which is why that the, when the trophic upsurge is over the first 10, 15 years and all the nutrients that, that create this boom of life from the lowest level of the ecosystem, which is what essentially makes everything good, right? If you have all aquatic insects and stuff like that, then you have things for the little fish to eat. And then, then of course the bigger fish eat the little fish. It's, it, it booms it all. So at some point when that starts to decline, because nature's just doing it's what it's supposed to do. It's just supposed to be filling in and it's just filtering it, filling in and silting in that, that lake naturally. But what happens is the fishing in every one of these reservoirs all can just gets worse and worse and worse over time. It's not like the stock market or real estate. Yeah, it's going to do this, but overall it's going like up or going down or whatever it is. It's just going to have a little bit of zig and zag. So you'll see some, some peaks where fisheries are doing good again. But overall, they're always getting worse. They're always will continue to get worse and worse and worse, which is kind of why we almost need the technology we have now to even keep up to with still catching decent fish in these places. It's like they're getting worse and worse. We get more pressure by, by us. By, if anglers are getting better, technology, YouTube videos, people learning, lures are getting better. Everything's getting better. Fisheries are getting worse, believe it or not. But they'll have these spikes, which makes us think they're getting better. But Having said all that, I'm going to back up and kind of almost like contradict myself. They're getting worse, except there's only one thing, two things you can do. I could be wrong. There might be a third, but there's basically two things you can do to bring a, a, a lake back and make it good again. Okay. Like the trophic upsurge with a bunch of nutrients and hiding places for your bait. And that's grass and an artificial bait fish that doesn't belong there that swims, creating an artificial ocean like a blueback herring. You see what I'm saying? Like, gobi. A goby, yeah. <laughs> Something that's not like that's there's only two ways. You bring in a different bait fish species because the natural stuff is all gone and, and there's not enough lower level organisms to supply that number of bluegill and brim anymore, right? And, and shad that naturally live there to continue that level that was happening during the trophic upsurge, which is why. So yeah, I do ahead. have a question on the trophic upsurge, right? Like you always hear of the new lake effect. Like what about like Lake Falcon, Amistad, maybe some of these more natural lakes out in California that were in drought periods for 15, 20 years, right. lowest levels they've ever been. And now they're all through the roof because yes. they had a lot of flooding now exactly. because you have this trophic upsurge. Now you're going to have a new lake effect, right? Mm -hmm. So now you're going to have a major Exactly. upswing for 15 20 years these lakes are going to fish good to great again because you're going to have all these new nutrients essential nutrients yeah. in the water so like yeah. you could say that lakes are getting worse and worse but also it's on yeah. a silical cycle right like mm -hmm. there's upswings and downswings and a lot of it is all mother nature based we have very little right. control of it over human besides we should really stop spraying grass on the entire lake and maybe mm -hmm. control it in 
little segments and be very smart the way we take care of the lakes. But places like the yeah. TVA that care about fishermen, right? It's all about moving water, powering right. houses. They're just going to bomb the lake and kill everything. 100%, dude. So it's hundred percent. Now you guys know there's a certain depth that bass don't really make it, you know, no fish, the oxygen level goes down anyway. Mm-hmm. So the nutrients that were covered up way down there, they're decayed, they're gone. But what you're saying is, is hundred percent right. When a lake gets so low for so many years, you got all that buck brush and all those trees are just growing on the bank again, all that grass, and then it gets flooded. So you got two things happening now that those plants are not aquatic plants. So they're going to decay and provide the, and they have cover the, the grass. It's just, you know, grass grows on the bank. You got all those nutrients again, getting put back into the environment, the aquatic environment. Plus the flooding brings in what all kinds of stuff from the floodplains, which also gives more nutrients to the lake. So you get this, it's never going to be what it was the very beginning, but you're going to get this surge for, like you're saying, it could be, you know, maybe five, 10 years of good, good fishing again, you know, and then it's going to, potentially decline again but um but the only way you can do it yeah is, is it's it's grass and adding an artificial you know or the rare situation where you have a huge huge lake level drop for a number of years which means it's going to suck for a, a, a while as well but um but grass so that's why but now let's go back to these lakes lake lanier okay lake lake hartwell lake norman you know lake lake murray like which it's it's going to get there with those fish alabama bass are in there um lake wiley all those lakes you know they are big big they're not grass lakes naturally that doesn't really happen there they're giant recreational lakes with with huge homes on them so if grass even showed up there they are sprayed they're not going to let it happen one bit so what did we do i don't know if we intentionally did it but the striper fisherman or someone did it um blueback herring you know got put in there and they spread and now they're we've created an artificial ocean Bringing me back to this Alabama bass, guess mm. what? Guess what? Black bass species happens to be the best at feeding in an open water environment like an ocean. Alabama like bass. Alabama bass. So now that's why they're they, it happened to quote, quote, again, I don't want anyone to get the wrong idea. You shouldn't move these fish around at all. But it, we got lucky in that it quote unquote worked out because we're, grass was never going to be allowed in those lakes. They're right. They're, they're too dominated by the homeowners association or whatever the you know they're not gonna let it happen the only the way to, yeah exactly <laughs> the uh <laughs> only way that those lakes were ever going to get better because the trophic cup surge is gone they don't have giant they never let those lakes drop below you know they for the homeowners they keep those lakes pretty they have a winter pool that goes down a good bit but those lakes are in the part of the the southeast that has a lot of rock in the shoreline and red clay so you don't actually have a lot of like Nothing really grows there, you know, that much anyway. So, and they keep, so anyway, it's never going to work out with grass there. The only way to make those lakes better because they kind of lost the best habitat for the largemouth who wants grass, who wants murky water, who wants to live that way. The only way to actually make those lakes better really was this perfect storm of let's get a, a species uh, like a blueback herring, get them in there that lives in, and feeds in the open water, plankton, and whatever they feed on, and pair it with the best black bass species to feed in open water. Cause they look like missiles, dude. You've seen them. They're just darts. They're skinny and they look like missiles, which is, which is why I targeted them on Pickwick when I wanted the Bassmaster kayak series on Pickwick. Cause I knew they get longer on average. If a two pound large mouth or small mouth, an Alabama bass will be a two pound Alabama will be longer. So I was like targeting them because there's a part of that lake where more of them occur. But anyway, the, um, so learning more about the black bass species can help you become a better angler because there are situations like, 
like Seminole where you can go catch shoal bass and, and go up the river and learn and, and they could win those tournaments. Someone could have won Seminole and shoal bass because giant largemouth live up that river too. Trust me, they could have done it. I was texting Ronnie about it. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to bother them too much. No one, no one got it and found them, but they're there. And, but it's hard for an elite guy to figure it out in three days of practice. You know what I mean? But they're there mm-hmm. and you could have won that tournament with shoal bass, but learning more about these species helps you understand, you know, in all the lakes around the country and the, like the grand lake example and you know where to go to catch what target wind it may not apply in every single situation in every lake but when it does oh boy does it give you a little bit of an edge already before you've even gotten to the lake so um but yeah grass grass and artificial fish now the problem is you know they start getting to these other places and we don't know what's going to happen man we don't know i have a feeling they're just going to become it's going to become just a black bass of some sort. That's a mix of, of, of two or three bass. Things. Yeah. The mutt, the mutt bass. So that's I mean, a what, uh, what, what kind of timeline would we look at for, our, so if we did nothing about this in our fisheries, well, you've got, they're going to keep monitoring the situation. Cause like I said, the good news is shoal bass have held, held their own in the primo shoal bass habitat. So, I have a feeling that smallmouth are going to hold their own in the swiftest shoals of the new river and places like that where they're in with, with, we don't want them in the Roanoke, you know, Smith mountain Lake and all that. They're going to hold their own. The problem is too, that, that people forget too, when you put them in a lake, they're now in every river and Creek feeding that lake and they go through the dam and they're, they get below the lakes too. So that's why they're in Russell below Hartwell. So you can't think you're just, Oh, it's only, only affecting one, lake you know what i mean um but the timeline is simple it's like for largemouth we've seen it's 10 years on a lake that was already poor largemouth habitat because the trophic upsurge was over in lake norman it was like that place was devoid of anything but by the way this is this is going to click with everyone now when i say this why in the world like why do you, how do you win like you follow how do you win like a lot of these lakes uh brush piles right you drop people are dropping brush piles what are they doing they're creating their own miniature have isolated yeah trophic upsurge right there in that little area that only they know that exists there and it helps the bait fish and the you know kind of have somewhere to hide and live they're trying to replace it with you know artificial you know trophic upsurge you're trying to do you know what nature did originally when they flooded those lakes and they left the trees there when they flooded them mm-hmm. so but anyway that lake norman took 10 years and they, they don't even hybridize with those fish they just out competed them and it's 80 20 and because i see a lot of elite elite anglers and people saying like well largemouth fishing is still good in you know norman or uh you know whatever uh, hartwell and all these places i'm like is it is it is it nah i don't think so it's not like it's not like murray like if bluebacks got put in hartwell and alabama bass never existed there and then largemouth were the only thing that would be in like hartwell then guess what we would have a lake murray situation on our hands because the largemouth adapted they they did they they can if nothing else is there they're gonna find a way when those bluebacks come by to feed on like they do on Murray on points or whatever they're gonna figure it out but now when they have a fish in there that's better than them at it they apparently are, go- are going to just get out out competed for the food and outworked and outworked yeah I mean it's I'd much rather fish a lake like Murray with how it is now with mostly largemouth and there a lot of dude so many you saw that tournament it was unreal three to six pounders that's fun compared to a, a bunch of Alabama bass, which again, cool fish in the right environment. I have no, I'm not anti Alabama bass. It's one, one of my favorite black bass species. 
I'm just anti them in any lake they're not supposed to be in. But yeah, yeah. it just depends, Bailey. I don't know what's going to happen in uh, in the the New River and other Smith Smith Lake, Smith Mountain, I guess I should say, Bug, Bugs Island, all those lakes that they're in now. We don't know, man. It's it depends on how many of them are in there to begin with, and how many actually got put, put in there because it, it's like a exponential sort of thing. You know what I mean? It's going to be okay. We, we're hardly catching them now. Next year, okay, a little bit, and then all of a sudden it's just going to like get booing out of nowhere. You know, it's it's a numbers game when they spawn. Do you think? I mean, did you see the weights from Bugs Island that Bassmaster opened last week? I, a little bit, like you know, was it like 13, 14, 15 pounds? Was like pretty good. It was really good. Was it? Was it yeah, mostly? 15. Yeah. Was it mostly uh, largemouth, or is it most? Were there how many Alabama bass or spotted? So that's a problem. We don't even know what they are. If they're a cross between an Alabama and a and a, and a spotted bass, or is it a pure? spot or is it a pure alabama or let me uh let me pull it up it's not good either way it's not good but in either way they don't get as big as largemouth so it's not good for weights for tournaments let's see i'm gonna pull up from bugs island and see see if we have anything here i mean in a dude could you i don't know how far north and how cold a water they can handle these fish we don't know that can you imagine the saint lawrence river without smallmouth like pure smallmouth and actually the average size fish is a mutt that gets smaller because alabama bass do genetically get smaller in size so that shaquille o'neal illustration that medium-sized per- fish is going to be it's going to be what happens what well, what happens if a if a cross but if a mean mouth if a cross between a, a alabama bass and a smallmouth all of a sudden if that fish there the 50 50 fish gets it on with a 100 alabama well now you've got again you've gone smaller again to a so now 75% of the fish is the smaller species. So the overall, you know, length yeah. of that fish and size of that fish is just getting weaker and weaker and weaker. Um, and we have a hard time in this sport already because we're only fishing for 25% of the population. You're actually not targeting. You don't want, you can't help it, but you're not trying to catch. You don't want to catch males. Black bat. You don't want to catch any males because they don't get as big as females. It's called um, sexual dimorphism. And, Black bass, all, they all have that except for one species uh, that we know of right now. I'll tell you in a minute. But sexual dimorphism. So it's already like putting us at a distance. It's tough enough to win these tournaments when you're only fishing for um, 50% of the fish are female. But you're actually – you can't even say 50% because only 25% of the females are at the uh, the age where they get big enough to actually matter in a tournament. So you're actually fishing for 25% of the fish to begin with. Against all these other – it's actually very hard to, you know, to win a tournament and try to – and you can't target – gender it's like yeah. anyway but so i'm seeing a lot of just the, on the yeah. bugs island thing real fast i'm seeing a lot of largemouth in the way in pictures some big spotted bass it looks like in there right they look like gonna... spots not the alabamas i i can't i'm not the greatest at determining it yeah. but i also wonder that if we're seeing majority largemouth from there because they're just bigger than what they probably exactly. that's that's exactly what i was going to say they're the, you know the ones you're only going to see a good size, a two pound, you know, whatever, one and a half, two pound Alabama or spotted bass because you're not, you know, you're calling it out. Hopefully these other, or you're throwing back all these little dinks all day long, you know, but, um, but yeah, the, the, the shoal bass, by the way, that, that little last part of that sort of trivia tease, whatever is the only species of black bass that has no sexual dimorphism. So the, the males get equally as big as the females which is crazy in terms of the length. And obviously the females are going to weigh more during pre-spawn. 
but it makes a lot of sense when I learned that. I was like, holy cow, back in the day, dude, we'd go out in the spring when it was, you know, easy to catch them and catch like, you know, I have days where I catch like eight or nine of them over four pounds, eight right. or nine, because 50, because now 50% of the population is an adult, uh, adulthood, full adulthood that get big, you know, that big, not 25%. So it's crazy. Uh, when you start learning all this stuff about these fish, like all these little things that can help you in a competitive setting or just even a fun fishing setting. But, but, uh, but yeah, you'll see, man, that bugs Island, all those lakes. I mean, it's there, you know, it's eventually going to start getting kind of dominated by the the species. We don't want it to. The only, the only hope, and if there is any hope in some is if the wrong spotted bass, if the spotted bass got put in there, I say wrong, meaning they don't get big. I don't, I don't know how well those hybridize with, the other species because they, well, we know smallmouth they, they coexist. So we know they don't really hybridize with those. So that's not a big deal. And I don't think they're going to outcompete too many of these other black bass because they're kind of small and runty, if you will. They, those Northern or Kentucky yeah. spots, right? Look at Lake yeah. Cumberland. Right. Would be like a prime example because it has smallmouth, largemouth, yeah. and Kentucky's in it. Mm-hmm. And there's giant largemouth that come out of tournaments there every year. Yep an overabundance of 17 inch smallmouth that don't make the slot limit of 18 inches. Yep. And then you can go and have your fair pickings of 12 inch Kentucky's all that you want. Yep. It seems like so. Exactly. Yeah. They lived in natural harmony there, but the only thing we, even though they don't, they won't hybridize with the smallies, they won't outcompete the large mouth or the small mouth. But here's what, here's what the crazy thing is, which I know has happened. Some people for sure have put Alabama bass, in there and then some people could have moved kentuckys or spots but what do those two do together if an alabama gets with a northern right a, an actual spotted bass whatever well now you know what happens all bets are off yeah. all bets are off and then maybe that hybrid of those two gets a little bigger than a spotted bass and can out compete with the largemouth out you know in the competition sense so now it's pushing them out in that way um so it's all not good i mean you just don't know we'll just have to keep tabs on it but uh, we don't. But look, I mean, think about like the Asian carp and snakeheads and cichlids in the Everglades, dude. You just can't get rid of them. You can't. So what I'm saying and why, you know, I didn't want my my video that I never posted that I'm kind of saying now to come across like old man get on my lawn is because I'm always I kind of mention it to the people uh, people at Bass and you know like hey you know we can we can like why can't we as the anglers the most highest level of bass fishing and major league fishing why can't, we should be the ones having a little meeting with all the anglers saying everyone stop calling these fish this because now at least people understand they're a separate species and then also understand what they do to hurt the future of our sport, like forever that we're relying on for, for financially, for our livings, we're, we're going to potentially be hurting our, our you know, own pocketbooks. Why can't, and you know, I feel like they should be the ones that are and, and they're doing, they're getting better. Again, I want to be positive because they're getting better. Like if you looked at MLF this year when they were on Norman, they had a biologist come on and talk for like one minute, a little quick interview, one or two minutes. They brought him on the phone during the tournament. Bassmaster, I didn't get a chance to watch today's tournament on Lay, but I did hear them calling the the fish. Uh, so every once in a while, they would say this. They would actually say Alabama spotted bass, which again, kind of take that word spotted out of it would be great for me. I mean, in my opinion, but. 
but anyway, they were talking about it and how it, it where you know how it lives there naturally, and it was just separated out back in 2009. But then they just go back to saying spotted bass every time someone catch one, and it's it's like it's I feel like it's it's just we're beating a dead horse. It's just like I feel like no one's ever going to actually listen and change, and it's it's going to hurt our sport for its future, really. Sadly, but it's stuff like this, man, that makes it difficult as an angler because one, you know, it's a problem and you, we understand as anglers, the biology of it when we're explained it, but it's also two, an issue just like one, because the, I think the requirement to fix stuff like this is one just way beyond the anglers, unfortunately, you know what I mean? Like it's takes like an organizational level to make some change here, which I don't think, yeah. Is it within the power of anglers? Even if I think we got a large group together, I don't think we'd be able to stop it. Unfortunately, yeah. There's people that are still just never going to hear the information. Uh, you know, I sat, I was at the Night of Champions with, uh, for Bassmaster this year at the Classic, and I happened to luckily get literally sat at the same table next to Gene Gilliland, right? Yep. And he's like the fisheries biologist for Bassmaster conservation director. Maybe his official title. I can't remember, but he's a fisheries biologist essentially. And then uh, Lisa Talmadge was there and uh, the other kayak anglers, Eric Siddiqui, a few others, Steve Owens, the director and some team guys. But anyway, it was really cool. I was next to Gene and Oh man, did we have a conversation about this and he's doing his best to try to like get, get the organization to see this 30,000 foot view of how like, critical this is a an asteroid coming at earth dude like and we're not doing anything about it like when we're the have the most reach the most you know resources and pool and the most to lose if it if it if this yeah. fish just wipes out everything across and we're all just fishing for these mutts essentially at some point and that's uh, mutts and largemouth because largemouth again they they'll, they'll kind of since they don't really seem to hybridize very much with anything They'll, they'll be okay, um, but they'll still get out-competed like some of the places. But trust me, Florida, Grass Lakes, Hydrilla, there's places that the Alabama bass just don't work. You know what I mean? They just don't work. So that's good. They're just best in these open-water, fake artificial oceans like we talked about, which is where you think about every great Alabama bass lake. And there you go, California, the clear water, right? Open-water feeding on trout and stuff like that. Like everywhere you think about Alabama bass, you'll you'll see a pattern Oh my goodness, it's clear, and it's and what's funny is the Coosa River system is probably the least is probably the murkiest and muddiest, or you know, of all those really mm-hmm. where they natively live. But in the headwaters, it's you know pretty clear water up in the Etowah and Conestoga and Ustanala and all the headwater and creeks and rivers in in Alabama that um you know they have there. The, there's a couple of them there, the Cahaba, and I don't know, there's a lot of big ones, the Black Warrior, and all those. There a lot of those are clear, but which which you'll probably notice, and I don't know this for a fact. If you go further down below the fall line, which is where it drops off from Piedmont to, to Coastal Plain in the southeast, and it gets turns into this bigger Alabama River that's muddy, I bet you you lose Alabama bass populations and you gain largemouth, which are better suited for that habitat. And the the Alabamas are a little bit better in the Coosa, the Rapids, the the Clearwater um, there where they kind of are known to to be. But yeah, it's it's sad, man. But Gene was really cool. He was doing his best and. And agree that, man, I wish we could, we could take a little bit better stand on this than than we are. And you know, so he's doing his best. Yeah. I'll say that. And 
and they're getting better. You know, Bassmasters doing, you know, they're getting better. They had they had conversations about it today, but until the anglers themselves, which have combined the, the media, re- the social media reach of all those anglers, until they just stop, I, I wish they would have ch- kept the Al- Alabama bass, call it the spotted bass, and changed the other ones. If they would have done that and changed the name of the other ones, we wouldn't have a problem. If it really, I mean, other than just trying to tell people, teach people, stop moving the, the fish, but now it's even worse because they're moving potentially the wrong, the wrong ones that for us that don't even get big and that's not good. And then anyway, but yeah, it's, it's a wild deal, especially wild. trying to explain it. It's, it's a, I feel like it's a hard thing to explain to the angler that's just going to go out fishing on the weekend. Yeah. You know? And the bass boat anglers who are fishing Hartwell, uh, Lanier and Norman, all these places that, Moss Lake, uh, you know, these other small lakes too, they have them in the Carolinas. It's like, how do you, they don't care. They only care about what is happening on that exact lake. They fish where their bass boats can get put it. They don't care what happens downstream eventually into other lakes or rivers or anything, or they just, and they don't understand the 30,000 foot view of what's happening. Cause if you move them to Lanier, someone gets an idea to move them to Hartwell. And then now they're closer to, and then eventually they're getting to smallmouth. And we, I mean, I'm telling you, we, I think we'd all agree smallmouth's a, a more fun fish to catch, gets overall bigger in size, mm-hmm. and we don't want to lose that fish. Do we ever want to lose that fish? No, of course not. If we and were you not, would be out of a job. Yeah, that's right. I would be catching mutts. Yeah, I'd be catching the <laughs> the mutt bass. But anyway, I, I the English who are moving those fish though, like you said, Bailey, they're the ones who don't probably think about this stuff or care anyway. You know what I mean? The mm-hmm. ones who who are benefiting from it and that love it now, like your pro anglers that just love catching these fish, they're benefiting and they, they care. Uh, and they probably are the ones that, that could help, help get the word out that guys we do because they also care about smallmouth because they go and fish all the Northern fisheries and everything else. So right. they, they don't just care about just the local lake that the locals who probably put them there from, you know, moved them. They only care about that one spot, but what's really matters is, well, now that they're here, they can get, get over here and then over here and over here. And then we, as a national, we're bass fishermen that, that follow this whole thing. And on a national level, we, we're the ones who this is going to affect the guys who travel nationally and catch smallmouth. I want to catch a smallmouth or whatever, um, you know, other species yeah. or largemouth in places that, but, but I'm happy it's worked out for us in those several lakes in the Southeast that it kind of really did. The only problem is because people might say, well, dude, the, the, state agencies stock striped bass all the time and white bass and stuff like that. Well, the difference is if you ever want to get rid of a striped bass, all you have to do is stop stocking them. And that's not true with the black bass species because they spawn naturally and have no problem spawning. Striped bass need like 90 miles or something of river, free flowing river to take their eggs. They go all the way up the rivers and their eggs have to float for like so many days or so many hours or whatever. And it takes, they need like an incredibly long amount of river for them to naturally reproduce. So if you ever want to get rid of a striped bass out of your entire environment and white bass and hybrids, which are the, the, the cross between the two, just right. stop, stop, them. just stop it. That's it. And then same with trout, these cold water fisheries, these lakes that create, create cold water uh, fisheries below the dams. Right. Like a Lake Lanier, right? Lake Lanier and other, um, there's tons of them all over the Southeast, right? And, and in, in the West Coast, where you have those deep lakes that create these cold water fisheries, artificial cold water fisheries, man-made, I should say. You stock trout in there because, well, that water is not, like warm water species can't be there. And if you ever want to stop stocking them, I mean, there's probably some natural reproduction, but a lot of those places, it's just, 
they're just stocked and that's it. If they stop stocking them eventually, they're all going to, you know, not, not spawn. And so, so there's a difference guys between moving, you know, cause you, some people might just, I just want to throw that out there say, well, States do it all the time, but that that's a huge difference. They're providing a resource for us, trout to go for your kids to catch or whatever, for all of us to catch in a, in cold water that a bass otherwise now cannot live in because of the dam we built and all that. And it's just giving us more opportunity. Plus that goes back to the point about those open water, uh, ha- uh, herring and other shad and other bait, other owl wives or whatever bait fish that are these open water, like roamers, striped bass are the most adept at like, that's what they do naturally in the ocean. Right. right. So, and they never stop swimming, whatever the, the term is. Uh, what is it? Andromedus or what's the word? You know what I'm talking about? Know, or where they never stop swimming. It's like a fish. That, no, yeah. Uh, Andromedus. It's, Andromedus. A, it's a fish yeah. that lives a majority of its life in an ocean or lake and will travel up a stream to spawn and then go back. And they never stop moving, swimming. And it, like a striped bass may, may be in a river that's sitting still, but it's in the current. And a black bass will always want to be hiding behind something and sitting still, not wasting energy. But a striped bass wants to keep keep moving like a trout just keep pumping always mm-hmm. moving around somewhere moving like in the open so striped bass works so good in those lakes because again we're just given a resource a largemouth would really not do too great as we know in the middle of lake lanier just wide open chasing bait you know what i mean they just don't they'll hide on a point and they'll ambush all day long and every once in a while they'll get into the mix when the chaos has happened they'll take advantage of the feed but then they'll get back out and just want to chill so putting those fish in there, it's been great for anglers overall because it gives us something else to catch in water that was dead to us anyway for black bass. It was going to be dead water no matter what, this open water. But now it's not dead for the Alabama bass. It's like we love this and we crush crush bluebacks in this. So, you know, happy it's worked out. But, man, we got to we gotta stop it at some point so it doesn't get up into the, the James, uh, into the next one up, the, the Potomac's and your – Susquehanna rivers and all that. And eventually up to Primo smallmouth Andes waters, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. I, would be interested, I would be interested to see how they survive in like a cold weather climate where it's cold that's, four, that's, five, six months of the year. That's what I'm curious about. I've, I've kind of talked to some biologist friends about that and they, we just don't know. Yeah. We just don't know. I feel like Smith Mountain could be like a really good like trial area for them because it does get cold mm-hmm. there in the wintertime. It does. Below 45 degree water temps for four or five months out of the year, I believe, right. on that lake. So it'd mm-hmm. be interesting to see. But does Smith Mountain have like a nuclear reactor on it like some of the Virginia lakes do, or is it just a damp reservoir? I don't remember if it's got like a warm water discharge or something. Because that could be your X factor. If a lake has a warm water discharge, like they're yeah. all going to flood there and survive. And I, th- I think Smith will be just not too much further north than some of the places they are. I think they're going to be they're going to make it in there, unfortunately, because you also got just the thermocline that's going to protect them down there. And I, and I don't know, man. But I, I think once you start getting, I mean, it is higher elevation. You might be right, Andy. I, mean, I don't know. I mean. It's just incrementally as far as the latitude, longitude, when you look at it, it's not like so much further than north and like like our winters up here. You know, I'm in northeast Ohio now and you're, you know, obviously you guys in Buffalo. It's like that's a whole different level than Smith, Lewis, not Lewis, Smith Mountain Lake of cold. And that is where I'm like, maybe there's something in their genetics that they don't do too good. But you just don't know uh, because largemouth are, you know, incredible at 
super, super cold water and, you know, smallmouth are great up north. So who knows? I mean, they they were naturally in that, in that, you know, mobile basin, which is pretty far south. So maybe we get lucky. And that's the thing that just naturally protects us from this getting any further, you know, out there. And so I don't know. Yeah, it'd be interesting Good to thought. see. Yeah, for a sure. wild deal, and we should keep doing stuff like this in regards to trying to bring attention to it, but also like updates if there is any updates. You know, we should get Dr. Sammons on here to talk about it because I, yes. I, I I fumble around and say stuff, and I'm I'm like I always say things I don't even know what the term is, but this is what it means, or this is what happens. But he'll like tell you exactly what it is and why, and just he will break it down, and it, maybe even we can get either him or somebody from Virginia that's really, you know, those biologists are freaking out. I mean, he's told me, Dr. Sammons has said, because they go to these meetings all together, these annual conferences and stuff. And um, I've been to some of them. They're really, really cool actually to be at. But because um, all these guys, all these, most fisheries biologists are fishermen too. They got into it because they love to catch fish. And a lot of them, you know, we're bass fishermen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but the the ones in Virginia are just, he's told me, Dr. Sammons has, they are, flipping out freaking because they're managing their their incredible like resources that they have for smallmouth and you know you know how much money people coming to virginia to catch smallmouth brings into their economy it's like like i can't i don't know the number exactly i can't remember but i know the guadalupe bass in texas this little runt of a little red eye look it's basically like a red eye a shoal bass that gets teeny it doesn't get big like three pounds or something it brings in millions and millions of dollars for people that travel, bring new money in to catch that little fish. So imagine if your entire state now, Virginia is full of incredible smallmouth fishing and everyone knows, you know, they, they want to go fish the new and the James and the Potomac's and you know, where the smallmouth are in the headwaters, the Shenandoah, all, all the good smallmouth rivers. And the, so many small ones that, that, you know, to let li- too many to list these smaller rivers in Virginia that, that all have good, imagine if that disappears what that would do to the people stopping going to virginia to, i mean their like economy i mean yeah. for the that fish it's an unbelievable unbelievable what it could actually do so i don't know man and actually just as a good thing to remember as before we finish if you go on facebook there is a uh, i meant to mention this earlier there's a facebook page for the i'll have to look it up but it's a you got we'll have to post it it's a conservation uh Black Bass Species Something Conservation Committee. I'm, I'm, I'm on it. And they do like, what's that bass Wednesday? And they post a picture of a bass and say, guess what species this is. And you have to guess if it's a hybrid of something or if this, and where they also say where it was caught. And it's, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to find that real quick. And cool. Black Bass, I'm pretty sure it's like Black Bass Conservation. There it is. Uh, American Fishery Society, Black Bass Conservation Committee. Go like that page on or group, whatever it is on Facebook. It's got 2.7 K likes 3000 followers, but it's called American Fisheries society, black bass conservation committee. And they will post, I mean, go look at these fish. That's what, that's the future guys. Uh, Can you send me the page drew and I'll link it in the bio for everybody. Send it right now, man. Yeah. Perfect. I'll, uh, for folks listening or watching on YouTube, um, I will link it down the show notes for you guys to go follow. Um, I mean, look at this picture, you know, it's called, you know, uh, WT, what is it called? Uh, WTBW. I think it stands for what's that bass Wednesday. Every Wednesday they'll post a picture of something that just looks freaky, but you know, like a freak between 
you know, a shoal bass, spotted bass, Alabama bass, red eye, smallmouth, and and they tell you what it was and where it was caught. Um, so anyway, I don't know if you, if you guys awesome. scroll down. The one from May fourth is a good example. Of these fish that are down there, the ones that have no genetic dis, dis, discernment, they just look weird. The ones from May fourth, they just posted that one. It's that picture. The ones on the bottom, there's like three of them. Uh, it's it's really weird, man. What those things are and that's the future of what all black bass could look like all because this one potentially this you know one of these species is you know getting let loose that's insane are you are you, are you on there yeah. oh yeah I, I just followed it and i'm like whew, that's terrifying I mean, you could share that screen right there and, and if it's sharing and that's what it, like i don't know this is the most recent one here they posted but that's like i don't know what the answer is but this is what is this? You know, it looks kind of like a small, kind of like an Alabama, and that's probably what it what it is. Claytor Lake, Virginia, yeah. So that is oh, now man. what the fish are potentially going to look like, and they're going to overall size be smaller than what a smallmouth would get. So, but then this is the picture I was talking about. I mean, these are these are dead, which isn't helping, but these here are just mutts. The ones on the bottom, they're just absolute mutts. That's like what the Chattahoochee river fish are all looking like when you get them all together, they're going to end up looking just kind of like this, just a, a mess. That's but insane. that's what I'm saying. Like, and I, and I bring it up to people and other elite series guys and pros. And they just, I am not saying they don't care, but they don't, they don't really ha- like listen to the big full 30,000 foot view of how this is like potentially going to impact their, their careers and their livings. Not, maybe not theirs, but, their kids, you know, if they go into that same profession or their grandkids, but it's scary stuff, man. Yeah, it is. It is. But we'll, uh, this has been a huge help. You know, we're, you guys appreciate you guys having me on and talking about this topic. Cause I want to, yeah. you know, it just, again, I just feel like I'm kind of sometimes sound like too much get off my lawn. I'm an old man, like whatever. Everyone's just like, dude, these fish are awesome. Who cares? What are you complaining about? But they just don't see that other part of it that, yeah. That I talked about the biggest picture that oh it's it's a problem and you can go you can go to the Coosa River system and catch them and and now of course obviously other lakes like they're in enough now where it's like okay we have enough of these places that that bring in these big tournaments that have them so we're we're good like we're never going to be short of Alabama bass fisheries so we're good like we're you know like we're short on shoal bass fisheries but um and anyway so let's stop it here at this point. Uh, I would love to see some shoal bass come north. I don't know if they're capable, yeah. but uh, man, that's the one on the list that I'm dying. I mean, they, yeah, I mean, they would, they would be uh, obviously only capable by a human doing it, but they would, who knows what would happen because then anywhere north is going to have any of these other species, like Alab- anywhere else you put a, like there's hardly anywhere that these days. I'm pretty much, there were some places in the Carolinas like your uh, the the Hall River and those places that the Jordan Lakes and all those lakes over there that are awesome largemouth fishing. That, that's there's the Carolinas had a few f- like river systems, like giant river systems that feed into the Atlantic that were that only had largemouth, and that's rare for in the whole country for a, a river system. You know, obviously we make lakes with those rivers to only have one black bass species. That was kind of like super rare, and there are a few left over there in the Carolinas. A few, like I'm pretty sure that they could already be in that the Jordan as it falls reservoir, Jordan, the ones they always mm-hmm. do the three yeah, Jordan, one, Sharon, uh, Sharon. Yeah. Sharon. Yeah. They're the moment they get put in there, someone catches one. We're just going to throw our hands up and be like, man, that was about one of the last, you know what I mean? Like 
now you know the places like lake fork and other i don't think i know of any that are in any uh, spotted bass or alabama bass because lake fork was made by just teeny little creeks and once they what for whatever reason if they were not if they were not even big enough creeks when they dammed it up that those spotted bass weren't even in there which they're not super adept to that kind of habitat in that environment so Maybe they were never there really to begin with when they dammed with that little creek. But the point is they could never, because they're such small creeks, they, they're they like the largemouth, got, you know, were obviously natural in there. And they probably, I think they stock like a, I don't know what fork got stocked with F1s or something, you know, Florida strains or pure Florida strains probably or whatever. The good news there is those are pretty safe because the creek creeks feeding it don't have the spots. You know what I'm saying? Like they're, they're pretty darn safe. So some of those are naturally have other ways to kind of, protect the pure just only largemouth lakes because there are some like that and obviously you got florida but even florida's got some some areas that have the swanee bass and uh not much but mostly that it's just florida you know largemouth down there right but yeah it's it's wild stuff man it's a good topic to to continue to talk about it's interesting too it gets a lot of i think views and listens because if you're a serious angler which you probably are because you're listening to the serious angler this is the kind of stuff that like you want to learn about and educate yourself about because Mm -hmm. it helps you become a better tournament angler and i can list many other examples like i have where it's helped me eliminate water have success because i knew about all these species and where they lived and you obviously probably care about this thirty thousand foot perspective like we talked about so it's that we're the perfect audience to get the word out about these fish and the, and the problems that it can, you know, create for, yeah. The issues for, it can cause. Yep. For sure. We'll get back on. I, I need to jump back on again. One of these days, we'll do some other a kayak podcast or something or whatever you guys want, you know, want to have me on for I'm always game, but, um, you talk about, I could do it. All these, all these, uh, disqualifications that, you know, MPFL and you got a lot of situations that happen. This poche thing. I yeah. mean, I, I've been I through that. Wonky you know, or for, EQs. Yes. And I all over the board to, to revisit some of that stuff and to explain and go through the whole process. Like I've been through being protested, getting DQ'd, going through the appeal process properly with Bassmaster, getting my win reinstated, be, being able to prove I did not break a rule. It, it could be for an interesting um, podcast given the latest, you know, things that have happened in yeah. sports. So people understand like the whole process and you know, I, I have a background in sports management. That's what my master's degree is in. And I ran sports leagues at the collegiate level, including it, you know, when I was no longer, when I, once I started fishing for a living, doing fishing stuff, I ran the river bass and tournament trail for eight years, you know? So I've got that tournament director background, right. From the organization. And I've got the angler side and I can kind of dive in. If you guys ever want to do a podcast about that too, about what's kind of going on with this stuff. And, and essentially what it really boils down to is, like you just got to tweak some words in the rules sometimes. And you don't know you need tweaks until something like this happens. It's not like it's anybody was really fault or not fault. It, it could be, there's a, it's not wrong to say that Poche and Bassmaster probably have some, you know, some things that, that could have been, you know, on both part parties, both sides. It could be, but Bassmaster didn't know until a w- weird random situation like this with a wildlife management area and a roller dam and all this stuff. I mean, they don't know until sometimes it happens. I I mean, but you know, anyway, we could talk about it more. Uh, sometimes you guys want to do a podcast about yeah. something like that, but uh, the, the NFL changes rules every year. So don't 
freaking hammer the organizations because it's not as easy as you think to run these things. Don't hammer them that they should never – dude, the NFL is big and powerful and as lucrative as they are with all the money in the world. Every year goes back and changes so many rules to make it better, better on TV or better, safer for this or whatever. Like, uh, you know, it, it's okay for – like – Roland Martin uses a jet boat or, or out to foe with a tunnel hole or whatever, a ladder with Roland Martin. Again, all these situations, they never dreamt of it, but in sports, the point is to see how far the mind, body, and so like it can go and just see what the, the limits of pushing the limits of human capability and people will do it. And Keith Poche is doing it right now. Nothing wrong with that. It's entertaining. It's great. Nothing wrong with what Roland Martin did and Ot Defoe or whoever. And doesn't take away from any of their wins when they did something that was never in the rules illegal. But then afterwards they had to change the rule because of it. Doesn't mean that guy cheated. He just read the rules like anybody else could have done it and could, and they could have done exactly what he did. But then later they just, change the rule and that's okay it's not you know it doesn't have to be one side or the other on this thing you know what i mean it doesn't have to be yeah. so it, it can be that both have a look like you know i don't know we, we'll get into it in that co- that whole thing but poche probably should have got you know some clarification on that because that's a little bit of a a different situation than locking through to lake griffin or or you know right or, or it's just a, jumping a, an earthen dam that's probably one you, you should have at least got checked even if the law and the rules, the way they have them written, you feel like you're you're good. Maybe that was the one to just get clear. Just get yeah. clear. Just in case. Double check. <laughs> just double check that one. Like, but uh, you know that that'd be a good one. So we'll get on and do some fun stuff, and I'm gonna try to get up there and and do some fishing with you guys. I'm gonna try to make that happen. So, you know, Andy, you you don't have many off days, I know, but when you do. We'll, we'll, we'll be in touch, man. We'll be in touch. I have to find a way to get up there and make something happen with you guys. I'll figure it out. Heck yeah, yeah dude. Well, buddy, we always appreciate you, especially when you come on and you drop all this knowledge on us. And I'm sure the, the listeners do as well. So uh, it's, it's been good catching up. Thank you for the knowledge. We're definitely going to be doing yeah. this show. We should get uh, some of your biologist buddies on, the specific, on this specific topic on a, do a whole panel sure. on this thing. That could be That could be really cool. I'm all out of order when I talk about it and it's all jumbled my head. Cause I know like, like too much about it all. And I hope it came across where you guys, at least by the end of it, finally understood like all of the issues that, and how it all relates and whatever. So glad to be here, man. Enjoy you guys. Y'all have a great night and we'll catch you uh, on the next one. Hey buddy. Appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. Right. See you. See you drew. So this is like, it's an interesting topic for us, Andy, because one, we're kind of almost not, I wouldn't say immune to it, but it's like it's states away, you know, yeah. it's, it's ways away from us. It's a 10 hour drive away from us to get to where this issue's even starting. Uh, so it's, it's kind of wild, but it's, I mean, when you think about it, it's, it is fairly important. You don't think that fish would be the problem where it's fish affect each other in ways where, you know, it's like when we talk, I, I know there's evolution, but there's also tampering, you know, and tampering in regards to people that put species where they're not supposed to be that can, you know, mother nature's got ways set a certain way for a reason. You yeah. know what I mean? It's, it's only mess with that mother nature allows humans to manipulate things. So are these things happening for a reason anyways? Like there's a lot of different ways we can go down this, but Leave nature be, just go fishing and leave fish in the lakes that they live in. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
let actual biologists do the changing of lakes. Don't take it in your own into your well, own even hand. biologists mess up too. Yeah, that's fair. We'll that's just take fair. we'll just take gobies and Cherokee, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know. Gobies have proved to be for the better for several fisheries, but again, either way, this is, it's a cool topic. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, definitely love having Drew on the show. We'll definitely be having him on again soon. We got some cool stuff down the coming down the pipe for the podcast network. So, uh, Andy, looking forward to that. But, uh, dude, anything else coming up for you? Any dates if, if folks that are listening want to come up and uh, get on some smallmouth? Yeah, so there's a couple random days in June that I would be willing to book during primetime, my favorite post-spawn season of smallmouth on Lake Erie. Uh, July have like three days available august i'm down to like four or five and then september is wide open so and september is when it starts getting fun especially towards the end of it and then through october my october is starting to get pretty full so yeah let's get on go catch some small mouth or large mouth and we have electronic classes we have technique specific education classes where we can do half days and full days so if you're looking to fine tune a certain technique or just get better at using Lorentz or hummingbird graphs, we can do that. Heck so, yeah, dude. Yeah. All right, folks. Well, that's going to be a wrap for today's show. Always appreciate you guys uh, tuning in, listening. Uh, without you guys, we cannot do this deal. Yep. But uh, we do not, at the moment, have a show planned for next week. But if you want to be in the loop uh, this weekend to hear what's coming up next week on the podcast network, uh, make sure you guys sign up for our Serious Angler newsletter. Uh, that's going to be – you can do that down uh, down below. There's the link. Or you can go to SeriousAnglerNetwork.com, throw your email in there, or reach out over social with your email, whatever have you. We'll get you signed up. And uh, we send that every Sunday night or Monday morning, whichever is easier for us to get it out. Uh, we send out a newsletter letting you know everything – for every show that's being uploaded that week, as well as uh, the different deals and industry news and all that jazz that you guys can take advantage of. So uh, feel free to do that. But as always, folks, appreciate y'all. I'll see you on the next one. Peace. Well, that was an awesome show. Hope you guys enjoyed it. If you can and your app allows it, please leave us a rating and review. It really helps us get seen more, which allows us to access more time and more variables to be able to bring to the show to make it better for you guys. So hope you enjoyed it. And if you did and you liked some of the things we talked about in this episode and want to check out our show partners, all of that is in every single show description. You can click down there. It's got all of our discount codes, all of our links to our show partners where you guys can go and support the people that support this show and help us make this show happen. And of course, this show does not happen without you guys. You guys know we appreciate you. You're the Sears Sanger fam. You're the reason we're here. Appreciate y'all, and we'll see y'all on the next one.